I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. Last week, The View host, Sonny Hoiston, did one of those in-depth genealogy shows called Finding Your Roots, and she discovered she was descendant from slave owners. You can see on her face that she's devastated and upset by the news. She really doesn't know how to react. Media picked up the story that Sonny's mom cried to learn about the family's slave-owning past. She was deeply disappointed. It's bizarre to me. Disappointment in your family history? Disappointment is a failure to meet expectations. You expected everyone in your family story to be a good person with modern morals? Maybe it's the Russian in me. I have no such expectations. But more than this, you cannot change the past. You can't change where you came from or the people who came before you. What has always been the glory of America is you get to start from scratch here. I lived in Britain for a few years during college in Scotland, and I was asked with some frequency what my father did for a living. They wanted to know how to categorize me. But in America, I never got asked that ever. And the idea always was that every generation gets to start anew. The problem is that Sonny had bought into this idea that we can't shake off the mm, proverbial shackles of the past. We're supposed to carry all of it around with us all the time. And we're certainly supposed to carry the blame of what people who may share our skin tone did. So now she's tarred by her slave owner relatives. She brought the shame onto herself. On this show, we talk about living a better life. And a lot of that is letting go. Letting go of bad things that happened to you, for example, and moving forward. But also, definitely, letting go of things that happened generations before you were born and over which you have no control. You cannot be happy if you carry around every mistake made not only by you, but everyone of your lineage who ever lived. Don't be like Sunny. 
I enjoyed collecting your stories to help our single friends. So let's try this again. I'm collecting stories for next Monday's episode. If you listen to the show, you know that I ask all of my guests to offer their best tip on how to improve their lives. Give me your tip. Write to us at carolmarkowitzshow at gmail.com or tweet at me at carol on X. I'll read some of the responses on the show, so definitely tune in. Thank you. Coming up next, an interview with Neil Pollock. Join us after the break. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome back to the Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. My guest today is Neil Pollock. Neil is the author of 12 very important books of fiction and nonfiction, a freelance writer who contributes to many publications, including most currently The Spectator and Observer, a three-time Jeopardy! champion, and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, which you can find at bookandfilmglobe.com. Hi, Neil. How are you? Hello, Carol. Yeah, it's so nice to talk to you. We've, uh, we've been uh, social media acquaintances for a long time, but we've never actually spoken yes. in person. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's a so pleasure. 12, 12 books, that's a lot. Which one is your favorite? I mean, you know, they're you know, you have several children, so you know it's hard it's hard to pick <laughs> favorites. Uh I, I always I always tend to like like the most recent one. Um right. but 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 I'm you know, my most recent one was a uh, was like a sci-fi satire of COVID politics. So um mm-hmm. while I do love it, it didn't exactly find a huge audience. Uh, before that, I wrote a, uh, a memoir about quitting marijuana, 
which I'm mm. quite fond of. I've written several books about yoga, but really, I think most currently, I wrote a book um, a few about a decade ago called Jewball, which is about uh, Jewish basketball players in Philadelphia in the 1930s fighting Nazis. <laughs> so that's I feel, awesome. Yeah, so I feel like that one um, that that one really rings true to me these days, given you know the current political situation. So I'll pick Jewball. <laughs> I feel like I have to check out some Jewball. Yeah, it's really good. So what's your, like, how long does it take you to write a book? I, I only have the one book. I say it's my first and last book. So the idea of 12 books is really crazy to me. And I just want to know more about it. When I'm rolling, I could knock one out in about six months. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, I have one, I have a novel that I've currently been working on for a lot, more than a year. And it's going slowly, largely because I, I spend a lot of time playing competitive poker and that just seems mm-hmm. to, we'll get to that. It, consume, <laughs> it consumes a lot of my brain space. So I, I don't, mm-hmm. my creativity, you know, doesn't, isn't always flowing. Um, but when it, I'm going good and my books are most are pretty short, when I'm going good though, about, about six months for a draft. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because I think of poker as a completely different side of my brain, like more practical, more like, um, I don't know, just not the artsy, you know, kind of fiction part of my brain that that I would need to write fiction books. Um, I see it as like math more than writing. I don't know, but yet you say that you it's much you math, feel like it's poker like gets in your way. Well, it's like math and it's like sports, right? So you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm it's an intellectual activity. So I just find myself thinking about it a lot, and the what. Yeah, it's different parts of the brain, but you know, I only have so I only have so much brain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like if, so if the neurons are firing in that direction, I, I tend to get distracted. So we originally connected, I think, over the fact that we both play poker, even yeah. though it's unfair and the worst. What do you actually enjoy about the game? Well, well, like you said at, at the outset, uh, I, I won some uh, games on Jeopardy, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I had that feeling of like winning big you know of like of, yeah. being the, of being the champion of hitting the jackpot uh because of my mental acuity and right. you know poker while the edges are a lot smaller right like i'm a really like good competitive trivia player um and you know can could beat like 99.9 percent of the population in a trivia mm. competition whereas in poker like yeah, I could beat fifty two point three percent of the population <laughs> in a, a case sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's like you just there's a lot more uh, there are a lot more variables. Uh, so what I, I mean, what I I like the idea of like somehow like just walking into a card room with a hundred bucks and walking out with four thousand bucks, which occasionally mm-hmm. happens. But sure. really, yeah, it does. Uh, or you could also walk in with a thousand bucks and leave with zero, which also happens. Um, but I like the, I like the winning. Yeah. Do you keep track of your wins and losses? I have a spreadsheet. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's really important. And I've, I've like put a lot of kind of younger poker players onto that idea because they've like never even considered tracking it. You know, it's just like whatever's in their pocket that day. I have a spreadsheet and I also like, I'm, I'm extremely, um, parsimonious, I guess is the word, really careful with my money. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a poker fund that I keep in a secret place. Like, um, the like kids Matt, call that a bankroll, a bankroll. Okay. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I, keep, I keep it in the wall, like Matt Damon and rounders. And I pull it out uh, when, when I have to. Um, mm-hmm. and I, 
other than like occasionally like going to the bank and getting twenty bucks to pay a fee or like an entry something, I don't I don't use my actual money to play right. poker. So I have you know, and then I have an online thing where I pl- I play for pennies just to kind of get the ha- hand reps in. Mm-hmm. You know, H- how long have you been playing? Um, I start well on and off for about 20 years. I can only imagine what it was like to play me in, in, in the Commerce Casino in LA in 2004. <laughs> I mean, I was stoned out of my mind. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so was everybody else. <laughs> so was everybody else. But I was like playing for, I was like buying in these cash games for like 40 bucks and always losing. Um, but mm-hmm. I've been playing, I would say, somewhat seriously since about 2019. And Do you then, think you could support yourself with it if you had to? I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> It's hard to say because yeah. I had a sixty thousand dollar win in twenty twenty two. You know, I finished second in a six hundred dollar buy in tournament, and you know that's a yeah. that's a ton of money. And I walked right. out, I walked out of the card room in Round Rock. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and Round Rock is a mm-hmm. suburb just north of here. I walked out of the card room at like five in the morning with a Manila envelope full of Franklin. <laughs> it was great. I went home and I dumped that's them. Awesome. On my, my wife was sleeping in bed. I went home and dumped them on her. <laughs> And did she enjoy uh, that? <laughs> it, well, she did, although she was like, no, no, I can never I, I can never tell you you can't go play poker again. Like, mm. right. uh, you know, we you know, we bought a car with it. We went to we went on vacation to Mexico City. We were able to do some house repairs and stuff we were waiting to do. Um but uh so yeah, but then since then I'm about I'm about even, you know, I'm about five hundred right. players. After that I went on yeah. a seven thousand dollar downswing and then I quit for a while. And it started up again, and I won a few thousand. Mm-hmm. I lost a few thousand. So it's like I would have to like have a big starter chunk of money in order to even try to make a living at it. And I like playing tournaments, and that's the variance is huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I think I don't know. I I think the only way to I mean, and I know I know that a lot of poker players would disagree with this, but to me, the only way to make a living playing poker would have to be cash games because yeah. when you're up you have to walk away from the table because you got bills to pay and you can't just, you know, you can't just ride it out and see where it goes like and, and the way you would have to in a tournament. Um, yeah. So, I'm not a great cash game player either because I get real nervous about money. So if I get up, then I often blow it. And if I get down, I get really depressed. And I just, the, the, mm. just the, and just the, the, the way that people play in cash games is not, doesn't really register with my brain. Whereas in tournaments, I like the sort of ebb and flow of the strategy. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I just prefer that kind of game, even though the variance is, is absurd. Right. I think the, the, just emotional roller coaster of poker is, yeah. is hard to maintain. Um, I don't know how people do it, but yeah. I, I've done it. I've done it. I've been through periods in my life where I supported myself playing poker. Um, yeah. it, like I used to work on campaigns and in between campaigns, I would, play and i was always like a one two cash game player which yeah. for people listening that's like the one of the lower levels and, um, and i live. never want yeah and i never wanted to move up i like a lot of people would get really good at one two and then move up to two five and i'd be like why would i want to play better players like i want to play the people who are here at the one two table that yeah. i've gotten good at um i i never yeah. quite understood the the need to move up to higher levels if i've gotten good at the one that i'm at already yeah, I mean, and I play tournaments because, again, like tournaments is about not ma- ma- not about making money as much as it is about winning trophies and bracelets and rings. And I like I I've driven up to Oklahoma to play at the World Series of Poker Circuit events at the Choctaw mm-hmm. Casino, and like you know, gotten 
to a couple final tables and gotten pretty close to those rings. And you know, I, that that would be it. That would be really great uh, to to accomplish. Just to, it's like the uh, like a uh, the intellectual accomplishment of it. Right, and also the money. The money is good. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I like I like money. Um, yeah, but I'm also realistic. You know that the real goal is just to kind of stay in the game, and then if, totally. You know, and then if I hit yeah. a, if I hit a jackpot, like I did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, Do you feel like you've made it? You know, that's an interesting question because, like, I've written twelve books. I've and I've I've written for like pretty much every English language publication under the sun, except for the New Yorker. I mean, there was a time a few years ago where I had uh, satire columns going simultaneously in Salon and The Federalist. You couldn't... Wow. You couldn't, yeah, right? Like, you couldn't ask for, a, like, a wider uh, ideological range of publications. I had a column mm-hmm. in Vanity Fair. You know, I was Jeopardy. I, I was a guest on The Daily Show back when, like, my writing career was really booming 20 years ago. So I really kind of, like, accomplished most of what I set out to do in life. Uh, you know, let's say you haven't years. managed to uh, ban kids from restaurants, which I know is one of your big, you know, big issues that you care about. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I don't have the, um, the time and patience to set up a foundation. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would like to see that happen. So no, so yes. So of course I have disappointments like that. Um, so yes, in some ways, like I, I, I'm, pretty much accomplished it all. And if I were to die tomorrow, which I'm not going to do, um, more than, more than likely. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, you could say that it's kind of been complete. Right. But on the other hand, like I find myself thinking like, well, shit, you know, I haven't done that. I haven't, uh, you know, never, um, gotten to make a TV show or a movie, my career while it's, I'm still in the game. Amazingly enough, considering that, you know, the just the attrition in this business um Mm -hmm. i'm still in the game but you know i was i was much uh, i had a higher status let's say 15 20 years ago than i do now you know i'm now just kind of like a guy who's still kind of playing around in the ecosystem so so sometimes i have those disappointments so it's like Mm -hmm. yes i've made it on the other hand eh, maybe i'm not I, i i could i'd like to get back to where i was in some ways too so what kind of movie or TV show are you looking to make? Probably something in, in the realm of comedy would be good. You know, I would. 20, hey, you're funny. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> right? You know, um, so um, what was it? Um, it was about, well, not quite 20 years ago. I, I had this book called Alternidad about mm-hmm. being a hipster parent, which was a thing uh, among Gen Xers. Uh, Back back in the day, there was this, there was this sort of a when Gen X started that reproduce. Uh, I, I was mm-hmm. obsessed with making sure that my son was cool and was into cool Gen X things, which I, which I think was a sentiment that a lot of uh, people of my age in general sociological background shared. And so I wrote a, mm-hmm. a, a comic memoir about it, and it got some press attention. I, you know, I went, I, I did the touring circuit, and I. Uh, it was optioned by Hollywood. So, um, you know, we moved to Los Angeles to try to turn it into a movie or a TV wow. show. Yeah, we, we like, we sold our house and mm-hmm. we, because like it was looking good. Right. And so I, I had, you know, and th- there were moments where it looked like it was going to get made into something and it just, it just kind of fell apart on me. Um, and then we had to, then we lost all our money and we had to move back 
uh, to Austin um, in shame. And, you know, so that, that was, that was kind of rough. And then since then there hasn't been a lot of opportunities. I am sort of vaguely thinking that it would be interesting to make something funny about poker. Mm-hmm. Um, it, poker does occasionally pop up in, 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 uh, in film and TV, but there hasn't, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a good, right. there hasn't been a good uh, show or movie about like contemporary poker. I guess there is that Jessica Chastain Molly's game thing. Yeah, that was good. Um, but it, it wasn't was, funny. It wasn't you know? fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, the poker, you know, when I went back and I watched it again, like the poker, there's that whole subplot with that, like the reg at the commerce casino who got bluffed by an idiot in a home game and then lost his mind and died. I was like, well, yeah. okay. that actually seemed, that was, that actually was seemed, that the guy who folded the nuts, which the nuts the is second, the best yeah, possible the second, hand. Yeah, the second nuts. No, I think there was a, also yeah, this, a hand like where somebody folds the actual nuts, like something like, and, well, I think what happened yeah. was he had these second nuts and there was this idiot who always block, who, who doesn't know what he's doing, had absolutely nothing. And, and mm-hmm. this good poker player folded. And would and yeah. lost a hundred thousand dollars or something in a hand, and then like that sent him on some kind of spiral. Anyway, so that, that right. you know that that game, that, I mean, that game, that movie was was good, but it was like there was also a lot of scenes of Jessica Chastain skiing. So, <laughs> so I don't want to make a, a. So I'd like I'd like to try something in in that realm maybe. And also, I've been for years these screenwriters and I have been I had these two novels about a um, a. L.A. private eye who was also a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. and we've been kind of futzing with that and seeing if we can adapt that into a show. You know, I, I feel like, the, I like yoga, the yoga world is is always right for a satire, something like mockery, that. yeah, mockery, <laughs> mockery, and also, but also like I, I practice yoga, so mockery and you respect. do, I have, yeah, I've been practicing wow. for more than twenty years. That's I, really interesting. I, a, I would not have imagined that. Yeah, I'm a certified Ashtanga Vinyasa instructor. I, mm. I, in, in 2010, I moved to Colorado for a month, and I studied with this. I guess you call him a man. He, he's more modest than that. But he's like a yoga master, and I, I went to his intensive workshop and studied with like it was like serious like chanting in Sanskrit. Wow, and like, and like anatomy, and I mean we did a a lot of physical stuff too, but I took a, you know, a Buddhist meditation course at the Shambhala center in Boulder. And so like, you know, so there's a, I mean, I take yoga seriously, but it's also quite ridiculous. We're going to take a quick break and be right back on the Carol Markowitz show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A question I ask all of my guests is, what do you consider the largest societal or cultural problem, and do you think it's solvable? Well, we talk about this a lot on Book and Film Globe. Um, I, I think that, uh, we have, there's a sensorial attitude in our culture that, uh, I think is really damaging, right? Like, I feel like, you know, on the left, um, for instance, in England, they're like Baudelarizing, P.G. Wodehouse, Rudyard Kipling, um, other, uh, Agatha Christie, other sort of cl- classic authors, mm-hmm. Roald Dahl, and, uh, they're, they they have these sensitivity readers. So they're change, they're like changing the books in certain small ways. And I, I, just, I just think that's ridiculous. And then, you know, d- during COVID, especially, you saw how intolerant liberals, specifically liberals, I wouldn't even say the left, uh, the liberals were about mm-hmm. um, ideas that they didn't agree with. You know, they were, there was a lot of, there were a lot of, you, that's what the whole Twitter files thing was about. There were a lot of efforts to, to shut down dialogue and, uh, and, and, and just control the discourse. I didn't like that. And I will say, I know you. I know you lean toward the conservative end of things. I will say that um, there, there's also that attitude to some extent on the right, uh, particularly. What am I, what am I thinking? Well, in Texas recently, right where I live, the state tried to um, get bookstores to bookstores, not 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 middle school libraries. There's one thing if you're like, uh-huh. well, maybe a middle school library shouldn't be putting comic books about gender transition on the shelves. I kind of feel like. Anything's fair game, but I can understand that point of view. But they were saying that bookstores, like independent bookstores, had to put like warning labels on books Mm. that had like sexual content in them. And I'm like, that's just that's just like Tipper Gore, (laughs) you know, trying to you know ban run DMC or whatever from the 80s. That's just that's just a bunch of moral majority crap. So I don't have any time for that either. So I feel Mm. like people just need to like stop censoring and stop thinking that censoring anything is a solution, you know, with like this country, this society is, it, it, it is built on the foundations of the first amendment. It is sacred and mm-hmm. uh, it is inviolable. And I feel like people just need to, if something defends them, you have to freaking yeah, deal. They, they should be offended. Freaking, they have, they have to deal with it like adults. Right. Um, yeah. And, it used to be getting offended was just part of life. Now it's like something we, we need to like, curtail well which always, is you there's know always, there's always been this puritanical strain in american culture i mean there's there was the hayes code in hollywood there's the comics code you know there were there were um there's more majority of the 80s that like i said tipper gore trying to put warning labels on records there's always this strain 
Um, but it, it, it doesn't ever seem to go away. And mm-hmm. so um, if you think something is too sexual, tough. If you think something isn't woke enough, tough. Expression is is fine, you know? I mean, even, you know, I mean, I remember when the ACLU, you remember that I, in the 70s, the, the ACLU defended Nazi, Nazis marching in Scotia, right. Illinois. I yeah. mean, that's not, they wouldn't do that now. They would try to ban them. No, they them. wouldn't. They would try to ban them. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't. I'm Jewish. I don't want to see you Nazis. You love Nazis, right? Yeah, I, I don't want, I mean, I'm, I'm horrified at the, like, the anti-Jewish uh-huh. sentiment in the culture right now. It just drives me, it's driving me crazy. But right. I, I would never for a moment say, don't let them express it. We have to let all the, we have to air out all, the, all that stuff. So anyway, so, yeah. that, so that's our, to me, that's our, that, look, there's a lot of problems in society, but that, mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's the one that I feel like is the most easily solvable. You know? Interesting. Easily solvable. Well, I mean, easily solvable it, if, if everyone would just stop censoring or thinking that censoring was a good. I mean, it, you know, because because the, uh, the law, the First Amendment is there. It hasn't been repealed. You yeah. know, it's like it's right there. So just right. It is right there. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not like it has to. It's not like we have to. It's not like we have to, um, you know, institute freedom of speech as a new value in our society. It literally is the founding value of America. And possibly America's greatest contribution to the history of world culture. Right. But I would say that it's become at least, you know, the the kind of bigger problem that I've seen with this in the last, you know, decade, and I'm sure you've seen the same, is that people get targeted for their kind of mainstream sometimes opinion that people just don't like. Uh, They get fired and, you know, the the story of Jennifer Say getting fired from Levi's or, you know, being forced out at Levi's for saying that schools should be open during, you know, COVID is just the classic story of that for me, Um, which is, you know, it's not First Amendment, right? It's not like... It is though. It, 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 it was more, but, but it wasn't the government shutting down her speech. It was like being targeted for thinking the wrong thing. Yeah, and wrong it, thing, that's like a thing. scarier and more difficult thing to solve, I think. Right. It's not a government pr- problem, but it's still, it's the same principle. Right. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I know Jennifer say uh, I'm part of a group, uh, like a COVID, uh, this sort of COVID skeptic. You don't talk group. about the group, Neil. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I know her. Like, it's like a, ch- it's like a chat. Am I okay. supposed to talk about that? There's like, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, it's like, you I, know, it's Fight Club. You don't talk Club. about it's it. Not, anyway, I know her. And like, you know, and I experienced the same thing during COVID. I mean, I didn't have it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not getting, getting fired from my job by my boss for talk, for, for saying that movie theaters should be open. That was my big mm-hmm. campaign during COVID. It was like, movie theaters should be open because you're not getting Yeah. Sick. In movie theaters, I went on and on and on. And I, you know, I lost some contributors to my site for over those opinions. And I, you know, I, right. I lost some I, mar- marginal friends. Yeah. I have to admit that I remember you going to the movies and I I was very anti-COVID regulations and all that, but I was still like, ew, I would never go to the movies right now. (laughs) I I definitely remember thinking like, that does not seem like a good idea. It was fine. No, it was fine. Obviously it was fine. But I'm saying like, even me who was opposed to all the regulations, I remember thinking like, I wouldn't go play poker because poker is always like the grossest, you know, place in the whole casino. Um, and I just, you know, and I wouldn't go to like various conferences, like CPAC is a conference I go to a lot and everybody always comes home sick from CPAC. And I was like, no way am I going during COVID and movie theaters. I just thought, you know, they're kind of always a little gross. And I, 
Yeah, I am a germaphobe. I'll I'll admit. So I remember you going and, to the movies, and, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking like, oh, I would I wouldn't do that. I'm not a germaphobe. I'll eat stuff off the kitchen counter that's been sitting there. No. Before. So, oh, so man. But, I, but yeah, so I wasn't. My wife wouldn't let me go play poker at the card room until after I got vaccinated. I'm like, fine, I'm mm-hmm. online, whatever. Um, I mean, I really didn't care. Like, I I I was out. And about I went to I went to parties I went to bars I, I any if I knew anyone who was willing to do anything um, yeah I did it during COVID and so I was living living in Austin and you know Greg Abbott like reopened the state before COVID even got here yeah you know, May, mm-hmm. May 1st, 20, 2020, he um you know he's right. not like a he doesn't have the, the the he didn't have the guts of like DeSantis in Florida to like mm-hmm. actually challenge policy but he. He, he did. He reopened it, including reopened movie theaters. So they opened some movie theater at an entertainment complex in Kyle, Texas, which is like 20 miles south of my house. And I was running this website about film and books. So I got in my car and 20 miles. It took me about 10 minutes that day because there was no there were no other cars on the road. Right. And, and I went to see Vin Diesel in Bloodshot. How was it? Not great, but it's like everything else that was playing I'd already seen before. Uh, before they started shutting shit, shit down, so I, uh, it was me. And so I walk in. I'm wearing a mask. I, you have to. And there are all the signs, you the six foot signs, and everything's under plexiglass. And like, there's a mm-hmm. photographer from the Austin American Statesman taking photos, like like I'm like like like, like a refugee, <laughs> like arriving <laughs> on the shores. And I'm like, don't don't take my picture. I'm working here. And so yeah. I went I went to the movie with my little box of Junior Mints that I bought at Walgreens, and I was like lifting my mask down and surreptitiously nervously putting the mints mm-hmm. in my mouth and then there are like four working class mexican guys in the back row not wearing masks eating popcorn having, not not giving a shit you know yeah. Re- res- they respect. hadn't heard about covid <laughs> whatever respect to them and, yeah. Yeah, and then and then i didn't die yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you you not dying was a big step forward for people like doing stuff again i feel like it's true <laughs> I yeah, I, I, I agree. In a small, I mean, in a small way, it's not like it was front page news or anything. Uh, but right. I, so, so then I kept going. Like there was that weird Russell Crowe movie, that revenge movie, Unhinged, that came mm. out. That they debuted that. I went to see that. Like there were three other people in the theater. I went to. They did a um, revival of Blade Runner at the Paramount Theater downtown. I'm going to see Blade Runner um in a, on a summer night in 2020 that was that was about as dystopian in, in an empty yeah. downtown that's about as dystopian mm-hmm. as you can get i went you know tenant all that and i just kept going to movies and just in, i went to see there was a freaky friday horror remake starring vince vaughn who like swapped mm-hmm. bodies with a cheerleader i went to see that <laughs> and i wrote about that people got fear were furious at me i was just mm-hmm. like fuck it i want to go to the movies i'm gonna keep going you were the you were the hero we needed at the time we just didn't know it we didn't know it then (laughs) yeah and and no one remembers now but it's okay okay. i remember i remember i I appreciate that (laughs) so end here with your best tip for my listeners on how they can improve their lives well let's circle back you know stuff yeah let's circle back let i would say look if i can do yoga me like a middle-aged schmuck you know in suburban Texas, can do yoga every day for twenty years. I mean, I, it, you can do yoga too. It's it, it, it's you know I I practiced yesterday. My legs are sore today, but I feel mm-hmm. good. And cl- I woke up. You know, I'm I'm fifty, almost fifty four years old. I woke up feeling not a day over fifty one. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it's really good um, just for sort of maintaining a, a baseline of mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, insanity and just physical, 
fitness, you're you're not going to get like ripped unless you're doing it all day every day in some in some cult in Los Angeles. Um, but you're it will uh, help you like kind of get through the day um, with a calmness and and a clarity. It'll help your sleep. It'll help your di- your digestion, all that stuff. So I would um I would recommend taking yoga. Up. Yoga, yoga practice is really good, you know, and, and, and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be, you know, hippy dippy religion, you know, you don't, right. you, don't, you know, you don't, there's no need for any of that. Uh, you can go that route if you want. And I have occasionally gone that route just to the part of the world, but you don't have to, it can be very practical. Um, and there are hmm. lots of examples of people who have lived very long and, um, healthy lives just by doing yoga and not eating like crap all the time. So all interesting. The time. I mean, you're, you're my, yeah, you're I, my second unlikely guest to have been into yoga. Kevin McCullough was the first and yeah. it's just, it, it's very interesting because I really would not have guessed it with either one of you. So it doesn't uh, require, I like that. It's not, a, yeah. you know, yoga gets this bad rap as being like something that like rich, dumb coastal liberals do. Yeah, right, and, it does. And it, well, and for good reason because they do a lot, yeah. of it, but they're also right. very, a lot of those people are very physically healthy. They are, and, they and, are, yeah, and, and maybe insane, but mentally, you know. So you right. think about, you know, there's a reason for that uh, because of their practice. So it's like, it, but yoga itself does not like it's it's not about politics. You know, it's a, like you, there's mm-hmm. lots of right wing Indian people who do yoga. Right. You know, India is run by a right wing populace. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, it, it, so it's not, there's no, um, there's no requirement, there's no age requirement, there's no politics requirement, there's no idea, it's not about an ideology. Um, it's really just about like focusing on your breath and like doing basic movements and like, you mm-hmm. know, not, not stealing, uh, from people. <laughs> Unless you're playing poker, in which case. The last one good. seems like you might have just added that on, but. <laughs> no, that's one of the, one of the presets. It, it, All right. Uh, no not, stealing. Not, not being a huge, huge asshole. Yeah. That you know, All right. Was, I like playing, that. That's a good, that's a, you know, that's a really good ending there. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a huge asshole. Thank you. That's all I'm saying. All right. You, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you Karen. so much, Neil. It was really nice having you on. Thank you. Let's, let's do this in person sometime. Thanks so much for joining us on the Carol Markowitz Show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.